Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Man and amen. You know, since I've moved here to the, uh, to the Fairfax County area and now serving here in Vienna, uh, whenever my friends who would call Deidre and I or reach out to us in some way, and they would say, man, how are you enjoying the experience? We'd say, hey, we've been Fairfaxed. And by that we mean that, that we have been spoiled by the richness of the cultural diversity here and all of the different types of foods from all over the place. And my wife and I, we love to eat. There's not only so many different types of foods from different places, but also our church spoils us every single week, right? feeding us every single week. But we, but we, we love, we've always loved since uh, we've been married, the richness of cultures and diversity. And, and so even where we live, the apartment where we live uh, is no different. It's just got people. My neighbors are from many different places around the world. My neighbor directly across from me, um, she is from, I believe it, uh, Iran, I believe, and has been teaching me Farsi. So when I see her now, uh, every time I say I greet her in Farsi, and I just kind of feel a little bit better about myself. Yeah, pray for me. All right. So, so we've always loved cultures, but something else that has also been very important to Deidre and I, particularly whenever we would move somewhere new, is to also feel the, the, uh, the call to make disciples among our neighbors. That's always been, since I've surrendered to this call, of the gospel, I've always sensed this call to make disciples among my neighbors. But let's just be honest. How many of us today in our current society not are acquainted with, friendly, say hi every now and then, wave at, how many of us really know our neighbors? When I was growing up, oh, praise God, great, wonderful. You guys may leave now, those of you that raised your hands. No, I'm joking. How many of us really know our neighbors? Because when I was growing up, I mean, parents would sometimes trust their keys to the house with a neighbor. Right? That's how well you knew them. They had access to your home. And so wherever we moved, I always struggled with how to develop that solid type of connection that goes beyond the surface kind of high and wave and so forth. And so Deidre and I have found out recently that the way we connect uh, most naturally with our neighbors is those that are uh, young parents like ourselves. There's just an immediate connection, right? You have that same kind of happy slash tired look, you know what I mean? And you, and you got your kids wheeling around and you immediately spark conversation. This week, just from appearances, people that are very different than I am immediately became very, very close to the point now, these are my neighbors, to the point now where several of other neighbors with kids close to the age of our kids are now saying, hey, can we get together on Sunday afternoons and do a play date kind of a thing, which is now beginning to develop now into a grow group that we're getting ready to start. Amen? And so it's the same type of passion that the, the early followers of Jesus in the early church had after the persecution broke out in Jerusalem, after the stoning of Stephen, moved now north. 
and went into the city of Antioch in Syria. And see, as you move now into this, this story in Acts chapter 11, you need to understand a little bit about the city of Antioch. The city of Antioch in the Roman world at that time was the third largest, most influential city in the Roman Empire behind Alexandria in northern Africa and Rome in Italy. It was a city that was also booming with business. It was right on the coast, and so it made it really, really easy for merchants and a lot of international business to take place. In Antioch, there was a, a growing, thriving Jewish colony that during the time of the Greeks... They were given equal citizenship with many others. There were people there that were given equal citizenship from uh, India, from China, from Persia. Okay? Equal citizenship. So this lent itself now to the Jews now kind of becoming very upwardly mobile in the city of Antioch. They began to do really, really well. And, and, and over time, they began to thrive so much so to the point that in the city of Antioch at one point, one in ten, one in what? One in ten citizens there in Antioch were Jewish. And there was, it was a pluralistic kind of society, very multicultural, very international, right? And so, m metropolitan area, right? And with all of these different types of influences, right? There's pagan influences of multiplicity of religions and, and, and persuasions. And with all of these influences now, what was beginning to develop, and I just love how God works, what was beginning to develop now was that the people there, with all these different gods that they were worshiping, were beginning to get tired with keeping up with all these different types of gods. And, we're, and, and because there was such a high population of Jews, they were beginning to get drawn to Yahweh, the one true God of the Jews. And so in your New Testament, you'll hear them described as the God-fearers. Sometimes Paul and some of them that would go to the synagogue and preach, they would preach to the Jews, but there also were God-fearers. These were non-Jews. These were Gentiles. These were those Greek-speaking people that were drawn and attracted to Yahweh within Judaism. This is the culture. This is the background of now these, these fleeing followers of Jesus moving up north, up into Syria, into the city of Antioch. Created an opportunity for them. Created what? Created an opportunity but not all of the Jewish Christians fled up to Antioch. You had Jewish followers of Jesus that were remaining in Jerusalem. The Bible says that the apostles remained during the persecution that broke out after the stoning of Stephen. And not only the apostles, you also had several other uh, 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 Jews that were from the Judean area that remained in Jerusalem. I want you to hear what... I want you to hear what... Uh, from his book, Following the Spirit. Those of us that are in our young adult group will understand our grow group. On Thursday evenings, we'll, we'll understand uh, this gentleman, Peter, Dr. Peter uh, Rohnfeld. He's the book we're going through following. He's the book we're going through following Jesus. He follows up with this book through the book of Acts, following the story of the early church, following the Spirit. You need to check that book out. It's an excellent book. But he says this, commenting now on these these Jewish Christians that remained in Jerusalem, he says this, the Hebraic believers, that's the Jewish followers of Jesus, he says, the Hebraic believers considered themselves a continuation of Judaism. With their Jewish heritage, 
their allegiance to temple traditions might have afforded them some protection when persecution broke out. By contrast, the Grecian Jewish Christians, that's those that were Greek in culture, born outside of Judea, they were part of the Jewish diaspora abroad, right? The Grecian Jewish Christians were from the Jewish diaspora. They had suffered, returned to Jerusalem, some with wealth, and as followers of Jesus were prepared to speak out against injustice, as we saw in Acts chapter 6, as well as extend God's invitation to all people. You see, the injustice that it was talking about in Acts 6, do you remember the story about those widows that were from the Hellenistic Jews, that's the Greek-speaking Jews, or the Jews from the diaspora, that were being neglected in the distribution of food by the apostles in the early church? Do you remember that? Yeah. See, these were the ones that said, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute, we're, we're being neglected. You're kind of ignoring us. We're not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not getting what's fair and what everybody else is getting. They were the ones that were going to now speak up when, when, when that kind of took place. They were kind of the, though they were Jewish, you know, it was kind of like, you know, and I, I'm just going to be transparent here. My wife and I used to actually get into this kind of thing early in our relationship, right? She's smiling, right? See, I, I come from a Jamaican background, but I was born in America. So I'm Jamaican. At least that's what they call us, right? Hey, don't hate. Best of both worlds. And she was born on the island, right? Grew up there and then moved uh, as a young adult to South Florida where we met and so on and so forth. But we used to get into it too, you know, am I really like Jamaican? Like, you know, you're just kind of like American, CJ. I mean, you know, I mean, you're from, here's what she would say, you're from Jamaican um, um, heritage. Oh, excuse me. Thank you, Deidre. You're of Jamaican descent. Now, you got to understand, in my early upbringing, particularly when I was in New York and when I just moved to South Florida, all that was surrounding me was Jamaican. The food, my church. I mean, when I moved down, anybody from South Florida, Lauder Hill, right? Sometimes they call that Jamaica Hill right outside of Fort Lauderdale. I mean, everybody there was Jamaican. So for someone to suggest to me that because I was born here, United States, that I wasn't Jamaican, oh, I mean, we may not have been married. She's like, look, if your foot didn't touch Jamaican soil after you came out the womb, I'm sorry, man. You, you kind of like, you know, you, don't, you just don't get it, man. And it's kind of what they would have said to you if you were from that Jewish, Greek-speaking diaspora. You're, you're not from Judea, man. You don't really know what's going on. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, you, you're Jewish, yeah, but you know, you're not really. Yeah. And so when the persecution, we're good now. We, we've, totally, we've totally crossed that bridge. But, 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 but now when the Jewish, when the, when the Greek Jewish speaking Christians fled after the persecution, that diversity of Jews that kind of came on the day of Pentecost kind of left. So what you were left with in Judea, in Jerusalem, were primarily Jewish, native to Judea, Jewish Christians. And it became a struggle because they then became weakened in their effect to get the gospel out of Jerusalem. And so they struggled to to receive Gentiles and even sometimes Jewish, Greek-speaking Jews into Christian fellowship. And then something else happened, another dynamic. Some of them were actually native to that Judean area, native to Jerusalem, and they left there and they also fled. But unfortunately, when they went up to Antioch, they brought the same type of bigoted persuasion. 
with them. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 19, are you there? Acts chapter 19, the Bible says that when they went, some of these Jewish followers of Jesus from Jerusalem to the city of Antioch, metropolitan area, full of people from many different persuasions that are now open to the gospel as God-fearers. They passed by the non-Jews, and it says they spoke to the what? It says in verse 19, it says, they spoke to the Jews only. They preached the Lord Jesus Christ, but to the Jews only. Now, this was not a mere lack of not feeling comfortable and easily uh, able to connect with those that are outside of your culture. It was beyond just a not comfortable and we don't, you know, we don't relate as well. No, 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 no. If you go even a verse before, as Peter gets through testifying about how the gospel was now going to the Gentiles after the experience with Cornelius, you would think that they were all would be celebrating, right? But they get mad at Peter because he actually went and took the gospel of Jesus Christ into a Roman centurion's home. And then almost like after they've wrestled their way through this and they saw if the Holy Spirit fell on them, well, obviously God must be okay with this. It says in the previous verse now, in verse, in verse 18, <laughs> they say this now to their nationalistic amazement. They say, then God has also granted the Gentiles repentance to life. And I could see Jesus going, well, <laughs> duh. I mean, didn't Jesus say to all of them in Jerusalem? He said, look, the, uh, the, uh, the Great Commission, he says, look, go into, go into all the world, making disciples of every nation. They struggled with this. And so to, 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 to the uh, kind of debunking our, our, our romanticized view of the early spirit-filled church, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and still struggle with these issues. Okay, contrary to that, that kind of glossed over kind of a romanticized view of the early church, they were very much human being sanctified by the grace of God. And so what can we learn from their experience as we too find ourselves in a culturally diverse metropolitan area. How do we make disciples in a culturally diverse metropolitan area? I believe we find the answer as we continue now in the story. Go with me now. Verse 20. Verse 20. Verse 20. Are we there? Amen. Amen. Here we go. But some of them were men from, Cy from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. The Hellenists there is the Greeks, right? Greek speaking are those actual little Greeks, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, okay? Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. You see, some people there, did you notice, by the way, did you notice that the, the, those that, that shared the gospel with the Jews only only get a brief mention by Luke? Did you notice that? 
Did you see that contrast? It was just kind of like, oh, yeah, there was some that only spoke to the Jews. But let me tell you about what happened, though. See, what happened is there were those that were from Cyprus. That's an island uh, right off of the uh, coast there near Antioch. That's Cyprus. That's an island in the Mediterranean. So those that were Jews that were now followers of Jesus from Cyprus started to preach to the Greeks. And then you also had those from Cyrene. You remember Simon of Cyrene that helped carry the cross, right? These are those from northern Africa. They said, hey, well, I kind of remember Jesus saying this is going to everybody, so let's go. And Paul, and, and, and um, not Paul, Luke now is recording this, and he's saying, look, these guys got it. And so they started to now speak to the Greeks, to the Hellenists. They started to speak to the non-Jew about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message here is undeniably clear, and it is this. The Bible is telling us here what we can learn from this experience. If we want to make disciples in a culturally diverse metropolitan area, we've got to understand that the gospel is not restricted to or defined by one dominant culture. It is not restricted to or defined by one dominant culture. The gospel is for everybody. It's for everybody. I'll never forget when I was at Andrews University, there was this worship, uh, music and worship conference, and they had this lady, she came from this prestigious uh, theological seminary and, and, uh, and, and university, and it was, it was beautiful. She came, and uh, she is now, I don't know if you've heard of this title before, she is an ethnomusicologist. She's a Christian ethnomusicologist which means that she studies the development of music arising out of cultures throughout the world. All right? And so she recounts this story, and she even brought some, some, some clips that we could watch, and she recounts this story of when she went to this remote village in Africa, and she just was just having a wonderful time being immersed in their culture and hearing their stories and understanding their experience and the, the vibrancy and the beauty that was coming out of that culture though very much different from her own. And while she's there, she is, is told that there's a local Christian church that worships, and they would like you to come and be their guest of honor. And she was just more than happy to come now and add this additional dimension. She also is a Christian. She wants to now go and kind of get this additional dimension to her research and so forth that she can report. She is writing from a Christian perspective. And so she goes there, and when she goes, she enters and she experiences, and she is greatly disappointed. Greatly disappointed. Uh, the, 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 the singing and the expression, and, and it was very different than what she was experiencing outside of the worship service. And she was trying to understand, she was trying to reconcile this. You were this way here, but, but, but you're this way here. And, and so she inquired. She says it was almost like being at a, a, uh, a funeral dirge. And, and, and while she was there, you know, she, she inquired by one of the leaders that were there. And when she spoke with one of the local leaders of this church, he says to her, he says, well, you know, I mean, they, they, they were learning some songs uh, coming from the 19th century and knowing that you come from Euro uh, uh, descent, they, they wanted to sing that which you thought would be appropriate. And so they decided to sing this, and, uh, and, and, and we thought, this, we thought you'd, be, you'd, you'd give us the thumbs up. And so she says, okay. She then immediately goes and addresses the entire congregation. And she says, look, next week I want you guys to come again. 
And when you come now, I want you now, as followers of Jesus, from within your own, arising out of your own cultural experience, I want you now to sing what is authentically you with Christ. And she shows the video and she shows the contrast now between the two experiences and what she experienced the following week moved her nearly to tears. Because what we see now in the contrasting video is when she comes now, oh man, the people now are singing. I mean, you cannot contain the joy that's in that congregation. There is now tears flowing from people's eyes. There's swaying. There's praying. Hearts are being convicted. People start to... One person, I believe, even wrote an, a, a new song. Imagine that. A new song unto the Lord. And people began to sing, and they brought out some different uh, instruments that some of us may find offensive, and, 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 and they began to just offer this beautiful offering up to the Lord coming from their own experience with Jesus arising out of their culture. And what I began to realize there is, is that the gospel cannot be contained to just one culture family. Jesus does not superimpose one culture into others to make us conform to just one way of seeing him and experiencing him. No, what he does is he incarnates cultures. He goes into them and embraces them, and then he sanctifies them and brings them together as one in him. The Jewish church struggled with this. They, hadn't, they, they really did, and, and, I, and I appreciate that this is recorded, because I'm not perfect, family. I hope, I hope I've debunked that at some level, being among you, Right? I'm on the journey with you. I preach, but often what's, what I'm preaching is convicting me, and I've got to go on my knees and say, God, I've got to preach this to my family, right? I'm glad these stories are here because we would have a very kind of a, oh, well, that was, and we, you know, what, what we often hear sometimes is, oh, but well, that was back then, you know? I mean, they had the latter rain outpouring, I mean, the early rain, right? Do you know what we are right now on the cusp of? The greatest moment in salvation history. Do not believe the hype when you hear about last day events. It's the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's the best of times and it's the worst of times. Those that are growing in Christ are going to come to maturity. The Holy Spirit's going to fall on a Jesus-centered community of believers that are called remnant in the last days. The greatest move of God is just before us. Now the devil's going to try and ramp up, as he is right now, ramp up what he's doing. That's just because he's scared about what's about to happen among us. Do you, do you believe that? The greatest move of God in all of history, greater than what we read in the scripture, is about to happen. So let's not look back there and go, oh, you know, that was back then. And they, no, you, you, they might, the angels might be writing about you. And we get up there and they're like, in the year of our Lord, 2018, Putri was just casting out demons. I mean, she was just miracles, right? I'm sorry to call you out, Putri. All right, come on now. All right, so, so, so here's what we find, guys. They struggled with this. They struggled with this. This kind of a only speaking to the Jews. And what they did was they did one of two things. Have mercy. They either ignored the Gentiles altogether, or when they brought the Gentiles to convert them in, talking about those Jewish followers of Jesus, particularly those that were there in Jerusalem, what they did was they said, okay, well, if you're going to come in, right, if you're going to be here amongst us, you've got to be culturally like us. 
And so therefore, you need to be circumcised if you're going to be saved. They made it a salvation issue. Imagine that. A cultural issue to the level of a salvation issue. You've got to be like a, it, it, it mushroomed until it became the greatest controversy, the, the crisis in the New Testament. Acts 15, the first general council, or what we would call a general conference, of all the believers coming together to wrestle with this issue, and they finally concluded what the Holy Spirit already settled with Cornelius. Yeah, the gospel's going to the whole world, and they're not all going to become Jewish. You know what they're going to become? Followers of Jesus, not followers of our culture. Oh, have mercy. Oh, family, let me tell you something. When Jesus shows up to take us home, he is not coming for everybody to be one kind of way. You're going to have a hard time in heaven when you've got cultures going back centuries. Oh, come on, family. God, the goal of the gospel is not to make us all European. And I love, I, I, I love a lot of the culture come, come, coming from Europe. I've got, I've got some ancestry going back there. My name, by the way, CJ, is act the C is Claypole. Do you know that's an old, kind of UK, wealthy, maybe they brought some of us over, I don't know, but, but it, I go back there somehow. Look, I'm American, right? I'm also Jamaican, I got a little bit of Cuban, but I can't superimpose my way of experiencing my story onto you. No, I embrace you as you are. Yeah, just as you are. Your story, your makeup, your culture, your tastes, your preferences. And we all bring it together and it creates this beautiful thing in the body of Christ. Yeah, they struggled with it. They struggled with it, but... You know, God is good. He works with us. And so what began to happen now was that many, though, that came into this culturally diverse community began to see that, that wow, th these people are not all trying to become Jewish. They're embracing us as we are. We all now are, all of us, Jews included, are now learning how to follow Christ and replicate him. I mean, just think about what it was for Jesus to leave his culture in heaven and step into ours. I want you just to think about that for a second. Think of the glorious worship and preferences he probably had when it, comes, when it came to sounds and expressions and art. Leaving all of that, humbling himself and coming to become like one of us in our culture. Have you ever thought about that? What was it like for him to go to synagogue and hear the singing, Lord have mercy, and compare that to Gabriel? But he came and he was perfectly comfortable. Because whenever you're doing the mission... Whenever you're making disciples, it's not about, it's not about you. It's, it's about him. And when he came, it wasn't about him. And so he embraced, oh, look at my children. Look how they're just, it's like when you see your kids doing a little something to please you and get your attention. It may sound horrible, but you're just like, just look at their heart. Man, just so cute. They're just singing with their little wooden and whatever it's just singing to daddy up there. That's just great. This is God. And as followers of Jesus, now he turns to you and he says, now you go. Do what I just did. Go enter into the culture. And it's not just kind of like ethnic culture. There's different types of subcultures, right? 
There's a youth culture. There's a pop culture. There's all kind of different cultures. There's a corporate culture. Enter into those like Jesus entered into ours and remove you. It's not about your preferences. Your preferences might get pleased every now and then along the way, but it's about now entering into theirs so that you can reveal the culture of heaven, which is Christ. That's what we're called to do. That's how we're supposed to live. Come on. Now, but we'll watch this. Jesus retained his identity, which was unique to his culture, fully God. See, he was still who he was. I'm still Jamaican, Cuban, and American. But I, but I now, I kind of incarnate myself into and try to relate to those that are around me. Do you follow? Now, hopefully next week I'm going to get some dumpling and ackee and saltfish and rice and peas. Hello? All right? All right. But I'm definitely going to get myself some samosas and, you follow? Some burritos? Come on now. Come on now. Let's go. All right, let's go. Uh, Acts 11. Let's go to verse 20. How am I doing now, guys? All right, five minutes. All right. Verse 22. Let's go quickly. Uh, verse 22. Because, you see, word got out. Whenever you begin to have this kind of inclusive cultural experience where everybody authentically is embraced and everybody equally is embraced, all, every culture is valid, there's not one dominant culture that is dictating how everything needs to go. We all bring it all. It's all embraced. It's all rooted in Christ, sanctified in him. It gets out. Muse gets out. And the Bible says, many came to the Lord. Because maybe I'm going to be embraced too. Now watch this. Verse 22. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas. Everybody say Barnabas. Barnabas, the word there, that means son of encouragement. His name means son of encouragement. Now watch what he does, because it just plays, Luke is just playing on his name here, okay? His name means son of encouragement. Barnabas, to go as far as Antioch. Verse 23. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord, and then Luke just has to add this commentary, he has to say, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Here's what Luke is saying. By the way, Barnabas was from, he was a Jew, but he was from the diaspora as well, so they actually chose the right person for the job. You know where Barnabas is from, by the way? Barnabas is from Cyprus, that island where some of those people that went, that planted that church in Antioch, he's from there. So he's familiar with probably some of these guys. He's familiar with the city of Antioch, which wasn't that far from Cyprus. And so they sent some, they said, oh, thank you, Jesus. They sent somebody that could understand. You see, if you're going to, if you're, oh, thank you, Jesus. If you're going to uh, do mission in a culturally diverse area, you're going to need to learn how to listen. And understand the language of the people and understand their stories, okay? They send the right man for the job. He goes there, and when he sees them, it says he saw the grace of God. Hmm. Let's come back to that for a second. He encouraged what he saw. What was he encouraging? And it's going to be informative for us. He was encouraging that if we are going to make disciples in a culturally diverse metropolitan area, we've got to encourage and celebrate unity and diversity. You see, that didn't get many amens because we often think that we are doing that. But are we really? Let's go a little bit deeper this morning, family. 
You see, when I was at Andrews University, and by the way, this is why I'm really excited about next week's celebration. If you're a guest here, you definitely want to make sure that you're here with us again next week. Because, I mean, I look forward to it every single year, International Sabbath. Get your flags and everything gets signed up. It's a wonderful experience. Our community looks forward to it. And we get to taste the food of the nations. Yes, my stomach will be praising the Lord all next week. And then I'll recover the next day. But... When I was at Andrews University, um, there were so many, it, it reminds this diversity we have that we celebrate every year with the International Sabbath reminds me of my experience at Andrews University. There were several experiences there that stand out in my mind. Uh, by the way, did you know that Andrews University is one of the top ten, or I think it may have bumped up to the top five, Deidre, um, diverse universities in the nation? Yeah. And so Andrews, Andrews University, for those that may not know, is uh, our church has kind of a flagship university campus and that's also where the seminary is so i went there so yeah so that's 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 where i was and so while i was there i remember going to pioneer memorial church that's the campus university church there and i remember going to their their worship experience particularly their second service and while i was there i'll never forget hearing and experiencing the various sounds that were kind of coming i call it a blended worship experience i, I could hear hymns when i was there but i could also hear uh, then move right into a Christian contemporary song that was more familiar to those of the current generation. And then I heard them move then into a spiritual, you know. And then I heard them move into a gospel song, right? All done decently and in order, all with taste but with life and vitality. Because they've got one of the most diverse universities in the country. When anybody walks into that worship experience or watches it because they broadcast all over the world, they could feel a little bit of themselves within the experience. And it wasn't, there was another worship experience when I was there. I'll never forget, it was called Fusion Worship. And the reason it was called Fusion Worship was because it was, the vision was that they took all, there's a lot of different Vespers, you know, those of you that go to Adventist or Christian universities, they have different Vesper evening programs and they have different praise teams and singers and musicians, student-led many times. And what that was, they decided, hey, can we just all come together once a month? And they, it was like they fused all of the different cultural flavors and genres and uh, it just classes and just everybody, bring them all together. And it was a once a month, brought the whole campus together. And it was not so that this group can do their thing here and then after they're done, the other group comes up and they kind of sing their thing, kind of showcasing their particular persuasion and prep. And then the other one comes up. It wasn't that. They brought them all together. They brought all of the different praise leaders and singers, and they brought all their musicians, and they all formed one big, huge worship team. I get almost chills when I'm talking about this. They formed one huge worship Just imagine like a, a contemporary praise band, right? And then also imagine like a student-led orchestra. And then in addition to that, a gospel choir backing them up, in the, up there, kind of like this. And then different languages. And then all of that, it was all in the same setting, all kind of moving, sometimes in English, sometimes in another land. And it's all moving, flowing together, offering up this beautiful offering to heaven. Do you know what that actually is? You know what that is like, by the way? Heaven. It won't be like, oh, over here, we're going to, oh, you know what? Let's all just worship this way. Come on. You talking about Jesus who made a garden and enjoys it all? It's to be encouraged, family. It's to be celebrated. It is to be encouraged, it is to be celebrated, and not just merely tolerated. It is to be embraced, because Jesus embraces us, no matter what culture we're in. Do you know that Jesus is active in cultures, whether we actually show up or not? 
There are testimonies coming of people having dreams and people having experiences in places where a missionary did not go, but Jesus went. He incarnates himself into these cultures and he calls us to do the same. How can we not do the same thing in such a richly culturally diverse community? How? It's not just that I now need to go find all of the Jamaican Americans and just talk to them. I've got to learn how to listen to the stories of others. I need to learn how to just embrace them as they are. Look, Jesus' taste in heaven may have been different than the taste of the Jews down in Jerusalem, you know, the Gentiles and so forth, but he loved them. He ate with them. He went to the Samaritan's place and stayed a few days. He commanded his, the, the, the disciples when he sent them out initially 12, then he sent them out uh, the 70, and he said, eat what they eat. Deidre is blessed whenever somebody comes over and loves what she cooks. Imagine your friend from a different culture when you come. And you eat what you can eat. Hear what I'm saying? But you eat it. And you say, thank you. That was so good. Tell me some more about your culture. I want to know some more about that. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to be encouraged. It needs to be celebrated. Last thing we'll say as we close now. Maybe our praise team wants to get ready. But as we close... Oh, man, the church is growing as Barnabas is encouraging what he's seeing. By the way, the grace of God that he saw was not only those that were being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that he saw there, but the grace that it's very clear in the text, what he's saying is, is that the, the grace of God was being revealed. It was being manifested by all these people from different cultures and backgrounds now being brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ in the grace of God, accepting one another, and it became attractive to those in the city. They felt drawn. I, this is where I am embraced. These were people that, by the way, historically would have been naturally at odds with one another, fighting, divided. Sound familiar to our current society right now? But what happens when they see people that come from different ethnic backgrounds, political persuasions, whatever, generations, all loving each other, caring more about the actual person than their preferences? What? Imagine that. I can actually disagree with you on, on, on minor issues or issues I may even think are significant, but guess what? Your salvation is more important to me. Your family is more important to me. Your marriage and its health is more important to me. Your thriving is more important to me. You knowing Jesus is more important to me than whether I want this or that. And so this church is booming, it's growing, and Barnabas says, I need some help. I need somebody that I know has been called to reach the Gentiles. And so you find in verse 24 that he goes now, this has been about eight or ten years after Paul has left Jerusalem. He went back to his hometown in Tarsus, and his name is not Paul yet, but it's Saul. In verse, oh, I love this, verse 24, it says this, for he was a good man. Oh, excuse me, go down to verse 25, rather. Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus, uh, for Tarsus, rather, to seek Saul. Listen carefully to this. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. A couple things real quick for a close. Number one, 
It says that they spent a whole year teaching them. What do you think was the main subject of their teaching? See, whether they talked about the state of the dead, health reform, whether they talked about second coming, whether they talked about last day events, whether they talked about the poetry in the Bible, the stories in the Bible, the prophecies in the Bible, they could not help but get to, get to the cross quick. Just get to the cross. Let's talk about Jesus. Talk about his life. Talk about him in Gethsemane. Talk about how the Sabbath points to our rest in Jesus. We're not working to earn it. We're resting in what we've already received in him. He's our creator and he's our redeemer. Let's talk about Jesus. Yeah. All they kept talking about there. Oh, man, there's a quote I was going to share with you. I don't have time now from Ellen White where she says, basically, they, every subject, no matter, where they, no matter where they went in this book, right, they were going to tell you about Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw only people from one particular culture and persuasion unto me. All people. Doesn't matter who you're trying to relate with. Do you know that Jesus is attractive? You don't have to put up the walls, family, arbitrary walls, and say, I can't relate with them. I can't connect. They're not my age. They're not from my... We can't, we can't, we can't really connect. I don't know. I, I just kind of think if you show people Jesus, he just does all the work for you. It's not even about you, really. He sets it up. You just become aware of what he's doing. All they were talking about was Jesus, and guess what? They didn't call themselves Christians. That was a badge of honor that was given them by those in that city that were not believers. Some scholars believe, uh, based typ typical to Antioch, that they were a, a, a city that loved to jeer and jest with one another. So they actually believed that they were making fun of them because all they talked to every day, man, these guys always, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This guy came and met one of my needs, but all he could talk about was Jesus the whole time. And so they said Christians. And when you study that word out, it's actually, they're trying to say, kind of like when somebody was a Herodian in the Bible, like a political persuasion. You're of Christ. You're a follower of Christ. You're uh, on that. You're with that Christ party, aren't you? Like we would say today, a Republican, right? They said Christian. It wasn't what they called themselves. It was what someone who saw Jesus through them in the midst of their uniqueness. The last thing I was going to say is, is that if we're going to reach this area that's culturally diverse, we've got to find our identity in Christ while retaining our cultural distinctiveness. You see, I'm still Jamaican-American, but I'm a follower of Jesus. That's my identity. It doesn't remove any of my history, tastes, and preferences, and, what I, and I hopefully I'm going to get some ackee and sawfish and hook that thing up. I'm still going to eat dumpling and all that, but trust me, when people come and they come and they get to know CJ, my, my, I'm not rushing to get to my Jamaicanness. I'll talk about that afterwards. They need to know Jesus. They need to see him in me. And I am not going to say, yeah, oh, by the way, I'm a Christian. No, I'm going to be one. And then if they see him, they confer that on me. See, it was an insult initially. But after a while, the Christian said, you know what? I want that name. I want that name. Yeah, call me a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. Aren't you from Syria? Aren't, aren't you from India? Aren't you from Turkey? Aren't you from... Yeah, yeah, I am, but I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Aren't you a Seventh-day Adventist? Yeah, but I'm a follower of Jesus within the Seventh-day Adventist movement. You know we're more than a denomination, right? I hope you know that. But more so, you know, the goal is not to tell people you're Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, please don't stone me. Your Seventh-day Adventism is to actually create a compelling picture of Jesus before he comes back. 
The goal is to when he comes back, people are looking at him and they're going, those people were telling me about him and it makes sense. Yeah, he doesn't burn people forever. Are you hearing me? Who wants to receive him today? Who wants to say, I want to be made one in Christ? What Paul is saying here is, if we're going to be effective, we need to actually live this thing out that we are made one in Christ. No matter where we're coming from, we are made one in Christ. That's why Paul said the most culturally revolutionary thing that Paul said in its time. They actually, the other contemporary historians of the time, commenting on it. When he said, and I don't have time to go there, but please, when you get a chance, uh, Galatians 3.28. He says, we are, there is therefore, no, excuse me, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, no sexism in the body of Christ, no racism in the body of Christ, no, no socioeconomic division in the body of Christ. We are one. Slave master is sitting at the same table with slave. Encouraged by Paul, read the book of Philemon, to be treated as an equal. The division between genders was, I mean, they were second class citizens. We're all equally sitting at the same table. Jesus did change the culture of his society. This wasn't always overtly obvious. Because the principles of the gospel naturally change culture. Do you want to live that experience today? You're standing. I'm already standing. So if you want to join me, you want to make that commitment? Can we be that kind of people? I know we're already on the journey there, but can we, can we see that thing lived out powerfully amongst us? Because we have an opportunity here. We have been made one in Jesus Christ. There is neither slave nor free. June or Greek male nor female. Now, someone here is saying, yes, not only do I want to be made one in Christ, I actually want to officially, truly receive Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a song right now. And you say, I want Jesus to be my cornerstone. I want Jesus to be the rock of my salvation. I invite you to come as we sing this song. Thank you for listening to Living for Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ.
Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him. <laughs>